Welcome to Practical Access. I'm Lisa Deeker. And I'm Rebecca Hines. And I'm excited about today's topic, Lisa. Tell, tell our lis- listeners what we have. Yeah, well, I know you're excited because this is who you are. And so I'm just going to play this clip from the uh, person who left us the phone message on our Google Voice. And it's on literacy. Hi, my name is Elizabeth, and I teach sixth and seventh grade language arts. My question is, how can I get my students more engaged and excited to read works of literature and interact with those works of literature in a virtual environment? Thank you for your help. All right. So, Becky, as the language arts teacher, sixth and seventh grade, I'm pretty sure that was a setup. Quite just kidding. Um, uh, I'm going to let you run with that one and I'll follow. Well, as you know, Lisa, even though I've been in special ed for a long time now, uh, my original degree was in English education and I was a secondary English teacher. And I have never had more fun than that job. So I do understand this situation now for those of us who love teaching literature and now we're not with the kids to kind of instill that, that energy that I think brings it to life for them. Um, I, I still think there are things that we can pull from that can help us get kids engaged. Now, the very first thing I would say is let's dust off our uh, Nancy Atwell and read some of her work. Um, she has lots of seminal things, but in the middle is one that, that does talk specifically about reader-writer workshops. And the key to a reader-writer workshop, and the reason I think this can be done online, is that a reader-writer workshop um, is about teaching many lessons and thinking in chunks and then letting kids read and then come back and discuss in small groups in workshops. So let's think of how that could look online, Lisa. If I am am, uh, reading a novel and in a true reader-writer workshop, students would choose their own novel, but let's just say we're reading the same one. Um, My mini lesson on something like setting is gonna be brief and it's gonna be as, as active and engaging as I can make it online. But then it is, okay, let's go take a 15 minute reading block, you know, Tell me one thing you're reading for right now. And then you come back and put them in, put students in breakout groups and let them discuss specific questions or do check-ins or in a true reader-writer workshop, the teacher would just be checking in individually with kids. Tell me what, you know, what you read, but the kids keep a, a log and a journal. Um, it's a structure that I think can be used online. And I'll circle back in a minute to, to making sure the engagement stays there, but let's hear from you for a sec. Yeah. So, you know, I think for me, it's, it's about choice. So I know we've never talked about that before, but mm-hmm. I think the the choice in an online environment is never ending and yet it might be limited. So, you know, I'm going to do a quick check, check, check. Like does the kids, the kid eligible for Bookshare so they can get 900,000 free books. Those are for people with print disabilities. Maybe they need to listen to books. Um, again, maybe there's a small fee the district could support for Learning Ally, or maybe your state has a license for that, again, for kids with print disabilities. If not, maybe it's using something like going to your public library and what is the software that kids can have access to for free, such as Tumble Books is available at our public library 
which is a little bit younger, but there's so many fun kinds of versions of tumble books that you can go and look at teen cloud book club or tumble math. So there's so many things, but I think the big win as I'm going to go back to my friend, Denise Ousley, she's a professor I co-taught with in English language arts. And I still remember the day she said to me, Lisa, I think what's wrong with your son is he's an info kid. I'm like, well, we've got every label on the planet. What's that one? And she started laughing and said, it's kids who like to read in squirts and spurts. So I think my advice would be to do something like I just did with a class, the thrively.com learning style profiles. And it's fine because it's picture-based and ask you if you would rather run than sit, or would you rather eat, you know, uh, lead the group or follow the group. And it has these little fun activities that helps you see kids' strength profiles. And I think thinking about an info kid is a kid who might like to read the Guinness's World Book of Records or a book on sewing or tying a fish or whatever it might be. Think about how you might get access to those types of books for our kids in virtual environments that aren't read chapter book one, two, three, four, but read some information like the newspaper, like museums, front page of the paper, and have some discussion on that. Because sometimes reading is about stamina. So your thoughts. No, absolutely. And, and support's going to be critical for some of the students. Now, as a, as, a, as, a, as a literature teacher, because it was my favorite thing to teach, I think it's what Elizabeth was referring to is like, now let's, we got to draw in the passion of it. And so the thing that I did in my own classroom, and again, we can play around with how we make this work online. I would challenge kids to take works of literature and to turn it into little mini scripts that could be enacted. So this was particularly fun for us uh, in a face-to-face class because everybody would have a different chapter. Every group would have a different chapter from a famous um, work of literature. And then they would have to turn it into some kind of script. We would full on act out their scripts and then we would have our own little in-class Academy Awards, you know, for, you know, the best original screenplay adapted from a novel and the best actor. And, you know, we, we, we had a lot of fun with it. And if I think about how that could look online, even though not everyone is in a setting now where they have all of their classmates around them, if we widen it and make it more creative, use anyone as your props, use your dog as an actor, we don't care. But giving kids a chance to do something um, novel and turn that, that work of literature into another product and something that, is, that has a feel to it that is inherently engaging. Yeah, I'm going to take that and piecemeal it a little bit. And I love that idea. And one of the things that uh, Denise Ousley, so you could look for Ousley, it's O-U-S-L-E-Y and Deeker, D-I-E-K-E-R publication is we did an article on not only info kids, but on a modified literature circles. Because like you, it's not about the reading, it's about doing something with the reading. And what I love is that Denise and I came up with a way to talk about, like, let one kid draw the picture as you were talking about, let one kid act it out, let one kid. And again, can you do that online? Well, yeah, you could actually let kids do that offline or you could do that online and let have breakout groups. All of the kids are going to draw pictures, gets together and talks about their pictures and then they jigsaw it back. And then one other for teachers that might kind of go along that line is it's called Kamishpa. And I'll spell that again. It's K A M. 
I-S-H-I-B-A-I. That's K-A-M-I-S-H-I-B-A-I. And it's very similar, but it's actually an ancient Japanese storytelling. So again, you could get culture, you could get social studies. And I know we believe in that integrated work, but where one student then could be writing the story, one could be acting out the story and the other could be drawing the pictures. And so again, almost a retelling, but a collaborative retelling, which I think kids really want when they're in an online environment. And that's what something I would be doing, especially at that age. age and level. I think that the, the key thing there is you really mentioned universal design for learning in a nutshell. So even though we did reenact things in part, that was kind of the culture of our class, but I would always absolutely give students an option of turning this into a work of art, you know, that is graphic art or any other things. It, do, it, do, it doesn't have to be performance if that's pushing some kids in a direction that's not their, their preferred style. So um, I think Lisa, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give my final recommendation because this is something I also used regularly. Um, I, did, I did always use movies to supplement mm -hmm. the reading, but I did it in a very systematic way. So we would read a chapter and then, you know, talk about that. Then we would watch that same segment in the movie and we would discuss what was the same, what was the different, you know, et cetera. I, I'll never forget reading Fahrenheit 451. And we all would, we would all say Fahrenheit 451 because of the way they would say it in the movie. And we would laugh about how much better we found the, the story to be when we read it versus when we saw it. And as the teacher, I could kind of lead them into understanding, yeah, wow, look how much vibrant this looks um, when, when it's in our imagination versus when we see it on film. But I parceled it out and I did put it together so that I was only showing key scenes and clips and parts of the movie, you know, so that the reading came before the movie clip. So we already had a strong idea in our mind before we watched the clip. And I think a lot of times it's easy to just sit down and show the whole movie, but I don't think that gives us the same rich discussions that we can have if we pace it and interlace it with the actual written version. Yeah, and I have two just real quick short tips. One's just kind of innovative and, and strange to ponder, but if I had some really reluctant readers, which it sounds like this teacher does, a shocking, um, I might have them either be reading to some maybe people in nursing homes or that are socially isolated now as grandparents, or better yet, even have them go teach some skills to kindergartners so that it's no longer about them not being a good reader, but them about being a reader and, and using reading and seeing the value of reading, bringing that story to life for somebody else. I think that's what we often forget is a lot of our struggling readers haven't had stories come to life for themselves. So once they do it for somebody else, they're like, oh, that's the purpose of reading. And sometimes we can see that, that turn. And then I love, uh, go ahead. Well, I just want to make one point about that. And this is for all of the, all of the people who are not English education majors. I, everything, I agree with everything you said, but I caution every listener to remember that literature is not reading. Yeah. So I just want to remind everyone because you can love literature and not be a great reader. So 
I think that one of the reasons kids don't like literature more now is because they have been hammered so much with fundamentals of reading and it keeps getting um, you know, a com- a convoluted. So, so make sure in our minds we are separating because the, the intent of literature is different than the intent of teaching someone to read proficiently. So not, I just want to remind our listeners of that. I agree. And that's what I think is fun. Imagine reading a story you feel good about to a senior who lights up and smiles. I mean, I think oftentimes our kids really don't get that opportunity, even if it's letting the senior listen with you and have a conversation. But yeah, to me, my mother was a librarian (laughs) and reading is about the love of reading, uh, not about grammatically getting every word right. And you and I work with so many um, students at the university that have various disabilities. And you and I both know we have some prolific readers who do not have fluency in looking at the text and reading print. And I, I, I definitely celebrate that. And my last go-to is just one, it's called Info Soup, What to Read Next. Because sometimes I think kids, you know, it goes all the way from picture books, all the way through the grade levels, what's the award-winning. But I often think sometimes the teacher dictates a story they love instead of the kids dictating stories they want to read. And that's why I just, I want to say one more time, reading, people become better readers by reading. Right. <laughs> and if I'm always asked to read something that you like, that I don't love, you're not going to move forward. And that's what Denise taught me so well. Right. Said, oh, Josh likes the Guinness and World Book of Records, or uh, my favorite is, uh, uh, oh my goodness, what is it? It's the book of Anyway, it's a great book that tells you how much a human poops in a lifetime. My son read that nonstop. You become a reader when you learn that literacy gives you information that you love. Right. And you become a lover of literature when you engage with a story that evokes an emotion or makes you feel something or understand something about the world that you didn't before. And they are really different. They're really different goals. Um, And so... I did want to mention also, um, Lisa, that one more time, anyone who's looking for that format to customize and let kids have choice, go back and look at Nancy Atwell's Reader Writer Workshop. It is a good format. It, It calls for kids to choose their own reading material. And specifically, the teacher is the guide on the side, not the sage on the stage. And I think that's an important lesson as we get kids to want to really engage with literature. So I agree with you a thousand percent. And uh, we thank you for that great question. If you have other questions, you can put them on our Facebook. You can also put them uh, on our uh, Twitter at Access Practical, or you can send them to our Google Voice account, which is 407-900-9305.